Woohoo and yeehaw! <laughs> it is Rare Breeds Month here at Pure Dog Talk. I am super excited. Yeah, baby, yeah! An entire month of cool interviews, amazing insights, low entry breeds, rare breeds, endangered. There's something you don't see every day. Preservation battles rare breed enthusiasts are fighting. The work they're doing may very well apply in your own breed. So I hope you'll join us. This is going to be a lot of fun. So, hey crew, new year, new decade. Let's have some new pure dog talk promos while we're at it, shall we? All right. Our patrons group continues to grow and thrive. It's like the NPR of dogdom. It's so cool. And Pure Dog Talk offers you, my loyal listeners, an opportunity to get in on the fun. Pure Dog Talk patrons are invited to join a closed Facebook chat group just for you. And I promise you, no drama mamas, no keyboard warriors, just fabulous, supportive Pure Dog Talk fans. That's it. Each month, I pick a photo submitted by our patrons group to be the cover image on the Facebook page. You guys have seen it. And anybody with a quick question gets immediate feedback from moi personally, as well as input from the array of patron group members. Pretty fun. The patrons group also gets first dibs on podcast topic suggestions. So if you have something you want to hear about, that's a good way to do it. And to celebrate the new year, I'm adding a whole new technological challenge to my life. Oh my God. I will be hosting Facebook Live discussions for patrons only on the final Monday of each month from 6 to 7 p.m. Pacific time zone. Y'all join us from wherever you are, but that's when they'll be. Just a few of our planned topics of conversation include advertising on a shoestring budget. (laughs) Yeah, trust me, we can talk about that. Campaigning a special just for owner handlers. Problem solving the stack. Tricks of the trade for grooming, like what products do I like or anybody else like. Open mic Q&As, all that kind of stuff. What you guys need to know is that the generosity of Pure Dog Talks patrons is literally what keeps the MP3s running here. The money is set aside exclusively for overhead and operational expenses. That's it. Now, I'm incredibly grateful to our corporate sponsors. You have no idea. They have the dedication to purebred dogs and the resources to ensure that Pure Dog Talk remains a powerful voice for purebred dogs. That you guys, y'all believed in this mission and you supported it from the beginning. You are the heart and soul of my crusade to provide all purebred dog lovers a constantly growing, challenging treasure trove of knowledge in a 21st century format. Like a So, just click the Be My Patron on Podbean button on the website. It's quick, it's easy, it's secure. And I hope to see all of you on the next Facebook Live chat. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk, 
I am your host, Laura Reeves, and I have, as part of our fabulous Rare Breeds Month here at Pure Dog Talk, excellent collection of guests, and we are going to talk about the Bedlington Terrier, and I'm really excited. I have with us Lori Friesen, Gabby Gilbo, and Lucy Heyman. And these ladies are going to give us a lot of really great information about the history and the preservation of all of the history that the Bedlington Terrier represents, right? Like that place in history that the Bedlington Terrier is and why it's important that we're going to continue to preserve it, what great companion animals they make, the fun things that you can do with your Bedlington, all of that amazing stuff. So welcome, ladies. I really appreciate you joining me. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Hey. Yay. Okay, so we are going to go down the line with everybody's 411, just a brief little snippet we can add to as we go along. And I think we'll just go in order. We're going to start with you, Lori. Give us the 411. Well, I got involved with Bellington Terriers almost 30 years ago. My first one was a rescue. And once I lost him, I got involved with a breeder who convinced me to get involved in confirmation in the show ring. And that escalated into, I'm currently the president of the Bedlington Terrier Club of America, and I breed under the glorious Bedlington Terrier Kennel Prefix, and basically focus my attention in the confirmation ring, and I do dabble in some of the performance and companion events as well. Well, okay, that escalated quickly, right? You went, <laughs> you went from the rescue to the president of the club. Well done. <laughs> I did. I did. Excellent. I'm a fast learner. <laughs> I like it. I like it. All right, Gabby, speak to us. Now, if I remember correctly, you were a Breeder of the Year Award from AKC not long ago. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. My mom and I were the 2018 American Kennel Club Terrier Breeders of the Year for Badlington. We've been involved with the breed for about 20 years now. I grew up in the AKC's Junior Showmanship Program, and I started with my American Cocker Spaniel. And we realized that we needed a show-quality dog in order to be a little bit more competitive at the upper levels. My mom told me very brightly one day that we were going to get a Bedlington Terrier. She had never heard of the breed, so she pulled one up on Google, and I started crying and told her it was the ugliest dog I'd ever seen in my life. And then I met one, and I was absolutely smitten with the breed. Their temperament has won me over. I still think that Google has picked the absolute worst pictures of our breed to represent it. But we've come a long way since then. See, we need to work on that, right? (laughs) Yeah, I think we could definitely have some better pictures as the Google search images. They're absolutely wonderful dogs, extremely versatile. My mom and I compete actively in confirmation and a huge variety of performance events with our dogs and hold 200 titles or more in both performance and confirmation events. Excellent. Excellent. And Lucy? Yes, I have been involved with this breed since 1977 when I was presented with one as a wedding present. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Yes, it was wonderful. And over 40 years later, I have served the breed in many capacities. I have bred and shown over 160 Bedlington Terrier champions, and I have seven all-time top-producing dogs, including the top-producing dam of all time internationally, to the best of my knowledge. I have served the Bedlington Terrier Club as corresponding secretary for six terms, 
and I currently serve the club as the delegate to the American Kennel Club and as the columnist for the American Kennel Club Gazette. It has been a truly wonderful journey with these dogs that are so extraordinary. I just wish that this wasn't a podcast and I could show you some (laughs) pictures I received yesterday from a client who started her message to me by saying, your boys are the greatest dogs we've ever owned. And that more than any accomplishment, having a number one dog or all-time top producer is probably the most gratifying thing that I get. Isn't that true as breeders? I mean, we've all got ribbons hanging on our walls, right? And pictures everywhere. And it's still the picture of your puppy with his little boy playing video games that makes you cry. So (laughs) I am so grateful for all of this knowledge. This is amazing. So listeners, if you ever wanted to know anything about a Bedlington Terrier, I'm saying I think we've got a lot of great knowledge here. So let's start with a little bit of history about the Bedlington Terrier. Because if I remember what I've read, which is this is not a breed that I am up to my eyeballs in, it's a pretty old breed, right? Yes, that's correct. goes back to about 1820 when they were first developed in the Northumberland area of England. Okay. And ratters, I remember, yes? Well, they are ratters, but they also go after all sorts of varmint, you know, like foxes, Mm. badger, the one of the very few terriers that will take a badger. Wow. You know, any kind of small game. Mm Mm-hmm. And tell us about the development of the breed. Was this a breed type that existed there in England in that area? And I remember something about coal mines. Am I confused? (laughs) No, actually, the Northumberland area of England is a mining shire. Okay. And so you're correct. That's actually where they were developed. Unfortunately, I'd have to say that they were probably very good gamesmen but very poor historians. So what we know (laughs) about the development of the Bellington is kind of people's best guess. Like we assume that they were bred with long-legged and short-legged dogs in a litter and the Dandy Dinmont actually evolved from the short-legged variety where the Bellington evolved from the long-legged variety. You'd have to say that the Bellington was sort of the poor man's hunting dog and They used them, you know, for game to feed the family. They were very tenacious. As the Bedlington evolved, they also, because of their tenacity, were used in other terrier breeds. Oh, interesting. Yeah, they were. I I know the Lakeland has some Bedlington in its heritage. It's also noted that when the hunt season was over, they were known to be pit fighters. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Okay, so now you completely blew my head up with the Bellington <laughs> Dandy split. That just boggled my brain. Mm-hmm. I'm now, my eyes are spinning. Mm-hmm. And I have always understood and heard from my minimal interaction with the breed that they look like these cute little lambs, but they're really super tough. Yeah. And that they're very much terrier. We have a saying in our breed that they have the head of a lamb and the heart of a lion. Nice. And that is very true. That's one reason we don't spar the Bellington today. No. <laughs> <laughs> one of the reasons is because they usually don't give any warning. Mm. They just 
stare and attack, <laughs> but that's what they were bred to do. Wow. The other thing that's interesting about the history and the hunting ability is they're very versatile. We call them sort of a generalist. They were mm. bred to course above the ground as well as go under the ground, like your typical terrier. Fascinating. Okay, and that is a perfect segue to Gabby, who's going to talk to us about some of the performance <laughs> things. So you have this dog that was bred to kill a badger. Guess what? My neighbor, Stan, doesn't want to kill a badger. He just wants to have a dog, right? Right. So what do you do with your badlington today since you're no longer hunting badgers? Well, I mean, kind of building on that very colorful path, the Bedlingtons are really kind of a jack-of-all-trades kind of dog. They are incredibly smart, and unlike a lot of terriers, they're actually very much people dogs. They really care about what their owners think. They're highly intelligent, and they're very more in tune to what their owner is hoping they'll do rather than some of the other terrier breeds, which may have a little bit stronger of an independent streak. Bedlingtons, you can see them at the highest levels of many, many of the events that the American Kennel Club offers. We've competed in a huge range of activities with our dogs, from barn hunt to rally to obedience, earth dogs. They are absolute machines on the coursing ability field. We've actually had some hunt masters afterwards ask us to run them against their whippets to see which one would be faster. Oh, wow. Kind of side note, the Bedlington has one. <laughs> we have dogs with farm dog titles. Okay, so I'm going to ask this like I'm an average member of the public, because I'm sure this is a question that you get a lot. Is there a whippet in the woodpile, if you will? <laughs> you look at the timeline, Bedlingtons are actually the older breed. So there actually is some thought that maybe the Bedlington is behind the Whippet. Nice. Okay, I heard somebody else start to jump in. Was that you, Lori, or Lucy? Well, it was Lori, and I was just going to basically say the exact same thing that Gabby has said. We can't really prove that there's Whippet in Bedlington, and like she said, the Bedlington actually was developed before the Whippet. But right. the one interesting thing we can prove is that we have Otter Hound in our breed. That is fascinating. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love genetics are so cool. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. All right, crew. Embark is really, really committed to providing a resource for responsible breeders and purebred dog enthusiasts. And we know these are tough times. And to help serve breeders right now when we need it, Starting in April, Embark is going to reduce its prices significantly through a series of sales and programs to help make the DNA testing even more accessible for everybody. So stop by, visit EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders, or hop onto their Embark for Breeders Facebook page and take a look at what they have on offer. As always, Embark's leading DNA test kits provide a comprehensive assessment of your dog's genetic health, genetic diversity, and physical traits. And I can tell you, I just got back the two Embark tests that I had done on my own dogs, and it was so cool, and I spent like half the day clicking through all the fun stuff. So stop by the Pure Dog Talk website and click the Embark logo on the homepage, and take a look at what they have on offer. 
this is going to be an average guy question, right? They both shape, you know, you have the curvy outline. They're going to think there's some similarity. That's why we're trying to help people understand who might be interested in this very unusual and very fascinating breed. Give them some more information. Right. So, okay, continuing on with Gabby's conversation about all the things they can do, I would think they're a good size for, like, agility. I would think they'd be amazing at it. Oh, yeah, they are excellent. Yeah, excellent, excellent agility dogs. You see Bedlington completing mock titles. Almost every year we have new mock titles or pop titles. They are extremely fast and extremely intelligent. They've got that flexibility that really helps them on the agility field. Right. So they're really great, even if you're just kind of dabbling in agility, you're kind of going to be a little bit more successful and kind of with a couch potato kind of dog. Mm-hmm. I like it. And I think, like I say, a good speed and zippy. They strike me as being one that would be really fun to watch run in agility. So Lucy, talk to us about grooming Bedlington. So we all have seen the photos of them in the show ring and they're very fancy. And I have friends who show them and the scissor work is magic and artful. But talk to us about having one just as a companion. You don't want to spend six hours scissoring every teeny tiny hair. <laughs> well, I think probably one of the most disheartening parts of being a breeder is seeing some of the groom jobs that are done at PetSmart, for mm. example. Oh my goodness. Or just anybody, because a client will tell me, oh, well, I found out that so-and-so can groom all breeds, and then I get a picture, and the (laughs) dog looks like a schnauzer. Oh, my. And it's part of my screening process, especially when I get an inquiry from somebody that's never owned a Bedlington. I always make sure that they do a good, strong survey, and I will do a survey online to make sure that we can locate a skilled groomer for them. And it's really interesting, and this has been my experience over the years because I've had hard-coated dogs as well. Mm-hmm. People that can hand-strip a Lakeland or a Wire Fox Terrier generally cannot be proficient enough with the scissors to do a Bedlington. And the Bedlington coat is very different from a Poodle coat or a Bichon coat or even a Kerry Blue coat in that it is quite unforgiving. You have to be extremely confident and skilled with the scissors in order to do it properly. But that said, a lot of the grooming can be done with a clipper for pet purposes. Yeah, I'm thinking for the average pet owner, how hard is it for the average pet owner? Is it a lot of brush out? Is it every eight weeks at the groom shop? What does that kind of look like? Well, it's every six to eight weeks with a groomer if you're not going to tackle it yourself. And I've had clients that have been able to tackle it themselves and turn them out looking like Bedlingtons should look. You know, that said, certainly not ready for the show ring, but they look like Bedlingtons. And a lot of it can be done with a clippers and, you know, with touch up with scissors on the legs and that kind of thing. So it certainly isn't beyond the average person's reach if they work at it. Right. I've had a variety of experiences, but the vast majority of my pet homes get their dogs groomed properly. And I don't freak out when I get a picture of them. Uh, (laughs) You know, I think, oh, dog looks nice, you know. Right, right. 
but for show purposes, a Bedlington doesn't need the kind of long-term work that, say, a hand-strip breed requires. Mm-hmm. So, in a sense, if the Bedlington is in good condition, in good coat condition, it's conceivable that the dog can be put together for the show ring in two to three weeks. Mm-hmm. And that's not true for, like, a Lakeland Terrier or a Schnauzer. Sure. Your coat won't roll. Mm-hmm. A Lakeland requires almost daily attention to the undercoat. But Bedlingtons are not like that. If you keep the dog bathed and brushed out, you can put it together and present it well at a show in two to three weeks. And so, again, for the person who's just going to have them as a companion, the hair's fine, but it doesn't look like it's prone to matting, right? It's a single coat. So is it easier to keep up from that perspective? Well, let me put it this way. We certainly encourage people, we teach them how to brush the coat. Yeah. And, you know, especially when puppies are growing and being so active playing, yeah, they will tend to mat and their coat starts changing when they're about four months old and they go through that coat change until they're probably 10 or 11 months old. Okay. And at that stage of the game, they really need some attention with the brush and comb. Later on, if they have a correct coat, it probably won't need that much attention. But some of our breeding programs are producing dogs with soft coats. And a dog with a soft coat is going to be very hard to maintain. Sure. Okay. And talk to us a little bit about, Lucy, I think you mentioned you wanted to address specifically some of the health issues that you have going with your breed. And for people who are interested in owning one or interested in perhaps acquiring one as a preservation breeder to help maintain the limited numbers of this breed, you could maybe speak to that. Well, for many, many, many years, it was well known in the fancy and among the public that Bedlingtons had a liver disease called inherited copper toxicosis. Right. It is essentially the same disease that humans have that's called Wilson's disease. Okay. This problem has been virtually resolved in our breed. There are very, very few dogs these days, you know, I would say well under 5% that are affected with copper toxicosis. Well, I think that's a huge shout out to your breed that preservation breeders are making that much difference in the health and longevity of the breed. I think that's fabulous. You guys deserve a huge credit for that. Absolutely. And our dogs are living 14 to 17 and a half years. Oh my goodness. And certain bloodlines are having some problems with kidney failure, and we really have not identified the actual disease process. Hmm. But again, it's not the majority of our dogs. It's a minority, probably under 10%. Mm -hmm. Dogs' eyes should be tested, and we are registered with the Canine Health Information Center And we require a test for copper toxicosis and eye exam by a board-certified veterinary ophthalmologist and an exam for patellar luxation, which can be done by a regular veterinarian, needs to be a specialist. Mm -hmm. And these are pretty simple things to achieve. The DNA test is just a cheek swab sample, and it currently costs about $60 
And the patellar luxation test can be done while you're at an appointment for other things at the vet. Right. Usually they charge 15 to $20 for it. And the eye exam currently in Houston at the practice I see is $45. So all told, it certainly doesn't cost a fortune to do the health screens for the Bedlington Terrier. I can tell you right now, your health screenings are way less than mine. <laughs> in terms of cost, you know, when you start adding some of our breeds that we have five or six things we're testing for, I think that's fabulous that they're doing that well. It is. And, you know, really one of the problems that we do have is with copper toxicosis in that some people, even pet owners, don't want to have a dog that's a carrier. And we explain until we're blue in the face that a carrier will never be affected with the disease. Right. And in fact, with a conscientious breeder, a carrier that is otherwise outstanding should not be eliminated from a breeding program. But you certainly have to be very, very careful and conscientious about selecting mates for the carrier dog. Mm -hmm. Because very early on, when the University of Michigan developed our DNA test, it was their fear that people would rush to eliminate all carriers and in doing that would create other problems. Absolutely. So we've been pretty successful. It sounds like you've been really successful. And I know that listeners to the podcast will remember a number of the interviews that we've done over the last couple of years talking about the importance, particularly in a breed like Bedlington's, where your low numbers, low entries, not a lot of them even worldwide, to keep the gene pool strong, you need to be able to incorporate carriers and a carrier bred to a clear is a safe breeding. Yes. And one thing that we absolutely have to do now, and it's going to take a change in people's beliefs, and that is that we need to encourage uh, our pet owners to breed if they want to. And, yes. uh, you know, Selling dogs with all these these strings attached, like you must have the dog neutered by the time it's six months old, it really isn't going to help us beef up our numbers in population. Now, that said, not every person is really appropriate to be breeding dogs, and not every household environment is appropriate to do this. But my answer to breeders that are just insistent that they wholesale require uh, spaying and neutering is if you don't trust the people that you're selling your dog to, you need to move on and find someone that you trust. Right. I think you're absolutely on target there. And I think that particularly when we're talking about these low number breeds, and it's why the entire month of April is dedicated to talking about some of these rarer breeds and what people are doing to help preserve them. And the real problem that AKC is perceiving is that people are using the limited registration right. to make money. Right. In other words, you're going to have a limited registration. You'll never be able to breed or show, but if you give me $500 um, more for the puppy, right. you can get a full registration. And that was not the objective no. that AKC had in developing this. The objective was to eliminate really, truly defective and faulty dogs from breeding programs. Right, exactly. I really think that that is, you know, limited registration, it's useful in certain instances. 
But I know AKC has actually, and as a delegate, you know the same thing, that what you're talking about. They're starting to kind of back away from encouraging it, right? <laughs> because they're oh, yeah. trying to encourage more people to breed more dogs. And that is the only way that we're going to be able to keep up with the demand. People want dogs. And so I think Bedlingtons are a fabulous option. And I want Gabby to talk about that, the personality, the living with them. You had the most adorable description of your falling in love with what you thought was the ugliest dog in the world. So <laughs> share some more with us about that. I always say Bedlingtons are the dog world's best kept secret. They are hypoallergenic. They don't shed. They have no doggy odor, even when they're completely wet. They are rambunctious enough to still be active with a family with young kids or other pets. They typically get along with other pets as long as they're raised with them. There are some caveats where there's some same-sex aggression sometimes. But, you know, those are not extremely common in the breed. It's kind of the odd man out. Mm -hmm. They're extremely intelligent, so they're great for families that have a want for a dog that's going to look to you and see what you want done next. And they're extremely active when you want them to be. Like, if you're going to go on a five-mile hike, they are game to tag along. But if you want to sit on the couch and watch Netflix all day, they're also cool to just hang out with you there. Mm -hmm. They're kind of the do-it-all dog. One of those breeds where you'll see them with families, with young kids, with individuals living in cities or out in the country. They really are kind of a very versatile dog that really fits a lot of different households. So many of the rare breeds, I think, fall into the category of best kept secret. I really do. Coming from a background of a lot of rare breeds, I get that and appreciate it. And so I really want to kind of drill down on that a little bit and talk about the size. So what do they weigh? 15, 20 pounds? Typically within that range. Yeah, typically like 18 to 22 pounds is pretty typical. You'll see in our standard, there's actually kind of a fairly sizable range in terms of height. And that kind of throws back all the way to their various purposes that they were bred for, whether it be coursing above ground, which the bigger ones could do, or going below ground, which Mm -hmm. the smaller ones could do. Mm -hmm. So you'll see little bitches in our breed or bigger males in our breed, all of which are certainly acceptable. And I've had puppy buyers request the littlest female I have or the biggest male I have based on what they're looking for. One of the things that I think is very cool about Bedlingtons is they're always a solid color, but they do have some variations of color that I think is sort of maybe poorly understood. So Lori or Gabby, either one of you guys want to get a minute and talk about that? Sure, I can go ahead and talk about color. I think it's quite interesting, especially to new people who don't know the breed very well, Right, is the fact that our Bedlingtons... We basically have two color varieties, but we do parse it into more details than that. You usually see what we call the blue or the liver Bedlingtons. Mm-hmm. Blue, of course, is a very fine shade of gray. Liver is more like a champagne or buff as adults. Mm-hmm. But what they don't know is the blues are actually born solid black. Yes, which is cool. And the livers are actually born solid brown. Getting a little more specific, we can have sandy, which is a different shade of brown, and also puppies that are born with tan points. The tan points do fade as they get older. Okay. But as an adult, there are some variations in coat color. And as breeders, that's one of the things we strive for because in our standard, it says color is to be encouraged. 
And we have to remind ourselves of that because we don't want to lose what we call the guard hairs or the hard, crispy hairs within the coat. Mm -hmm. Our coats are actually made up of a combination of hard and soft hairs. Right. And we also describe it as linty in texture. Uh, And that kind of goes back to one of the things that puppy buyers and potential owners do need to understand is the coats are wonderful. They're the softest, wonderful coats, like Gabby said. Yeah. Hyperallergenic. They don't smell. However, the coat, because of its texture, does have a tendency to pick up everything in the yard. Like you go through seeds. Yeah. You go through the clipped grass in the yard season. Right. Snow collects in their legs easily. Leaves. Right. So I do like to prepare my puppy buyers for, you know, what to expect, which is to accept the responsibility to maintain the coat. Calm them and out, to brush it. And- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. I once wrote a vet column titled A Living Art Form. Yes. And Bevelington really are a living art form in terms of their color and the color change with the seasons and with hormonal influences. You can't expect the dog to look the same all its life. Right. When the weather's cold, they'll darken up. And when a bitch comes into season, she will darken up. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, it's a really... super convenient. (laughs) (laughs) Super convenient. (laughs) Yeah. It's always like you get a warning right before your bitch comes in season. It's like, oh, you better start preparing. Okay, so they're like the chameleons (laughs) of the dog world. I dig this. This is very cool. (laughs) Oh, my God. I love that. Okay, ladies... Tell me which one of you guys knows roughly, maybe Lori, you're the president of the club. Maybe Lucy, I don't know. You guys are also smart. How many roughly Bedlingtons in the world? In the world? Or at least oh. in the U.S. Any ideas? Because I know they're low numbers. I just don't know compared to some of the other breeds kind of where they fall on that. We so actually should... fall in the 150, you know, out of the 177 right. registered purebred dogs. Yeah. We're in that lower quarter. Lucy, did you have something? Well, just judging what I see on Facebook with Beblingtons from all over the world, from China and Mm -hmm. Russia and Thailand, and, you know, I would estimate that we have a total of at least 3,000 living Beblingtons in the world. That's still not very many, you guys. No, it isn't. (laughs) Okay. Well, for anybody listening who is interested in learning more from these amazing ladies or about this amazing breed, there will be photos in the blog post. So Lucy, you will please send me the pictures of your cute puppies and everybody will send me pictures of your amazing puppies. And there will be links to the Bedlington Terrier Club of America and anything else that you guys want to send me. We'll make sure that goes up in the blog post. And I thank you so much for your time. Well, we thank you for the opportunity to share our breed. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our Dog Show Superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. 
They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk.